Welcome to Sex Care Self Care, a conversation on women's sexual health brought to you by the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health. I'm your host, Patty Brisbane. Today I'm joined by the members of the PBF Medical Advisory Board to discuss vaginal dryness. Hello, everyone. Let's take a moment to introduce yourselves to our panel. Uh, Dr. Vaccaro, would you like to start? Thanks, Patty. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Christine Vaccaro, and I'm fellowship trained and double board certified in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery, as well as obstetrics and gynecology. I'm also the fellowship director for female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery and an associate professor of obstetrics and gynecology in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Iglesia? Hi, I'm Shirelle Iglesia. I'm also double board certified and I'm a professor of obstetrics and gynecology as well as urology at Georgetown University School of Medicine. And I'm the director for the National Center for Advanced Pelvic Surgery for MedStar Health in Washington, DC. Happy to be here, Patty. Dr. I'm Kathleen Navicki. I'm the doctor of physical therapy and a um, certified pelvic health rehabilitation professional. Uh, I was the pioneer of pelvic health physical therapy in the greater Cincinnati area. And presently, I'm the director of pelvic floor education and program development at Oxford Physical Therapy. Glad to be here. I am so glad you're all here because you're amazing, amazing. You give amazing advice. So thank you so much for being here. Dr. Inglesia, how common is vaginal dryness? Uh, Patty, vaginal dryness is very common. Um, let's see. After the menopause, which, you know, there was a, just a new article in this week's Journal of the American Medical Association, the average age of menopause is 49.9. So after, by three years past the menopause, um, 50% of women will have some form of vaginal dryness. Um, only 20% are going to seek treatment for it. Many of them don't know what's going on. But there are some other special populations besides postmenopausal women. Um, and we've termed this, we've coined the postmenopausal vaginal dryness. The medical term is now GSM, genital urinary syndrome of menopause. And the vaginal dryness is one of the components um, of this GSM. But there's other people that can have genital urinary symptoms and include vaginal dryness that are, are menopausal. And some of the common scenarios are breastfeeding women who have a low estrogen state. Um, and I, we have another podcast about that. Another one is cancer survivors, particularly estrogen uh, dependent cancer. So breast cancer uh, and uterine cancer and um, ovarian cancer. Um, where you're on certain chemotherapy drugs or endocrine um, hormonal therapies, um, aromatase inhibitors, everything that causes a low estrogen state. Um, the others are two. There's a premature menopause. We call it pre, um, primary ovarian insufficiency. That's getting menopause before the age of 40. And uh, women who have had to get their ovaries taken out for various and sundry reasons that can go into surgical menopause um, many times, you know, earlier than the natural state of menopause. And those who are on birth control pills, but particularly the low, low estrogen type of uh, birth control pills that cause also a low estrogen state. That means that there is a lot of dry vaginas out there, Patty. 
I know I I hear about dry vaginas all the time, um, and so does the consultants here at Pure Romance. So thank goodness we have things that help with that. But let me, you did say something earlier that you said the average age of menopause is now like 49. 49, 49 yeah. So did it, did it drop? Did it drop because it wasn't it wasn't it fifty one? It used to say fifty one point seven, but the but there actually was a, a period of screening where it was forty eight point six, and then it actually has now increased to forty nine point nine. Yeah. It's around this range, but this is the most accurate information. I'll send you the JAMA article because okay. you probably need to know that. <laughs> but I guess we say the magic number is fifty. The ma- and, magic. You know, I'm in it, but I, I'm I, the perimenopause is a we need another podcast just on the perimenopause, but that is a seven to 10 year period of which you can still have the vaginal dryness, you know, during the perimenopause because you're fluctuating on, on the hormone levels, but that's another topic in of itself. <laughs> oh, I can think of a, a lot of topics around this. So we might have to just come and revisit this over and over and over again, because yeah. there's so many questions. Um, let me ask you this, Dr. Vaccaro, can medications cause vaginal dryness? Yes, Patty, and just like um, Dr. Glacia mentioned several um, that I'll just um, repeat, anything that, anything that causes a low estrogen state um, and can cause vaginal dryness. So again, medications that we commonly use to treat breast cancer um, called tamoxifen. So any estrogen receptor positive cancer is gonna we're going to use a hormonal agent to lower the, the estrogen. So all that category. And then there's other medications that we use for non-cancer reasons um, called luprolide, um, commonly called Depo-Lupron. This medication can treat endometriosis, so a pelvic pain condition. It can treat rapidly going, growing fibroids. So um, lots of reasons that we can use this that basically induces like a menopause-like state. So this shuts down um, hormones like estrogen, and that can obviously worsen the dryness. And then, you know, there's some other um, medications that have been linked with dryness, um, the antihistamine uh, category of medications. And again, especially if they have a pseudoephedrine component, which actually, um, you know, decreases blood flow to the vagina, causing vaginal dryness. Um, and antihistamines, again, can, can dry things out. And then to a lesser extent, but it's been associated with antidepressants. Um, and as, as is commonly known, um, but I'll just reiterate here, antidepressants can lower a woman's ability to achieve orgasm. And this can sometimes make lovemaking sessions longer, um, which then can contribute to, to dryness issues. So I'm not sure which one um, begets one there, but antidepressants have also been associated with dryness. Great information. Um- Dr. Novicki, how does vaginal dryness affect our libido? Well, definitely vaginal lubrication and libido go hand in hand. Um, When you have desire and arousal that stimulates the vagina to lubricate the opening and the vaginal walls, um, it prepares for pleasurable intercourse. Um, when you're not able to um, generate that lubrication um, due to a number of different factors, <laughs> which have been discussed, um, that um, creates um, um, an uncomfortable sensation um, during intercourse. Um, if that occurs on a repetitive basis, it's natural that our nervous system um, starts to withdraw from that. 
You know, it's no different than if you had a bruise and someone came up and poked it every now and then. <laughs> um, it would eventually start to withdraw away ahead of the, the poke. Um, and that's sort of the same thing that happens if you have uncomfortable intercourse. Um, um, with lubrication um, and hydration of the vaginal um, area, um, it also is important for the function of the nerves and the muscles um, to achieve orgasm. Um, those nerves and muscles need to be functioning well um, in um, a dehydrated state. Um, you will have abnormal um, sensitivity. Um, it will be hypersensitive to um, discomfort and less towards pleasurable sensations. Um, you, your muscle will not function as well, so you may not be able to achieve orgasm um, as you did before. Um, so combining those things over a period of time, um, naturally your, your brain and your nervous system just automatically, subconsciously even, um, um, starts to reduce your desire and your arousal for um, intercourse. That's great information. Yeah, but yeah, you would push or move if somebody kept poking you and it didn't feel good. So I can see where that would have an effect on the libido. Uh, Dr. Inglesia, hmm. uh, there's a lot of talk about vaginal moisturizers. Let's, mm -hmm. Can what do you tell me about it? What do you think as a doctor? Okay. So yeah, and I know that Dr. Vakar is going to talk about lubricants. So mm -hmm. basically the difference between moisturizers and lubricants are that moisturizers aren't used at the time of sex or intercourse. Um, so think of my face as being dry. If I have dry skin, I'm going to moisturize it. I'm going to put some cream on it. Same thing for your vagina. Your vagina has multiple levels. It's an epithelium. Um, and then there's a muscle layer underneath it. And then there's, you know, there's a, um, a submuscularis layer very close to the, the organs, either the rectum, the bladder, et cetera. But that superficial area um, of the vaginal epithelium very much thins out as you have a low estrogen state, mostly mm -hmm. with menopause, but with breastfeeding, et cetera. Because that area is so thin, it gets dry. It also, because the... Um, urethra, the bladder, the vulva come from the same kind of embryological origin and also very estrogen dependent, those structures can also uh, be damaged. So vaginal moisturizers, which are mostly water-based, um, but some are um, also having some silicone in it and, and um, there's some new stuff on high hyaluronic acid. Um, they're mostly just for the symptom of dryness inside the vagina. There's actually even some vulvar soothing creams um, specific uh, on the outside as well. But there are some that are pH balanced that are over the counter um, that you can also purchase <laughs> um, with the intent of treating the symptom of dryness apart from, apart from sex. You know, I've often wondered, um, so yeah, you're right. We take care of our skin. Women will go out and spend whatever to make sure that they their skin is healthy. Uh, and I've often said we need to do the same thing for our vaginas as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm glad that we had this discussion. Now I probably gotta go to the drawing table and come up with something myself for PR. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are the different types of vaginal lubricants? Uh, Dr. Vercaro, I know that we have a multitude of different 
lubricants for different reasons. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hear what the doctor's opinion is on this. Thanks, Patty. I, there are, as you know, a plethora of options out there for mm-hmm. patients looking not only with purements, but but everywhere on the shelves, um, online, et cetera. But just to kind of break it down into, I, I see things in three separate categories here. One are the water-based lubricants, similar to the moisturizers, and, and they really, their they're purpose is to bring moisture and hold moisture during sex. Two are the silicone-based lubricants. So these are more like sealers and they're really slick and slippery um, to hold hold any moisture in place. And I think the best of both worlds maybe is the hybrid um, lubes, which are water-based, but also have silicone. So you have have the moisture and you have the sealer to hold it in place. Um, So I think when I'm talking to patients about what I think a good lubricant is, I tell them that we want it to reduce friction, okay? But we don't want it to completely eliminate friction because that because we actually need fric- a little bit of friction to feel. Right. Um, so we want it just to reduce it so it's not, um, if there is soreness or dryness or irritation that that's gone, but we can still feel. Um, and we want it to stay slippery. So some lubricants, unfortunately, will lose their moisture and then become... Um, Kind of uh, globby and goopy and, and sticky, and we don't we don't want those types either. So we want them reduce friction um, and stay slippery. We want something that is pH balanced to the woman's vagina, so somewhere in the four to five range is optimal to to have proper vaginal health and not throw the vagina um, into a situation where it could be um, a host for other bad bacteria to set up camp like bacterial vaginosis. So we want it pH balanced. Um, and, and like I, like I said, the water in a silicone blend that hydrates and moisturizes might be the optimal solution. And just a a couple notes on silicone lubricants. They are, uh, vagina friendly. They're barrier compatible, meaning you can use them with condoms. Um, and they usually produce a slippery and long lasting feel. A note on oils, um, oils should be avoided. What I mean by oils is mineral oil, baby oil, um, even coconut oil, which I'll talk about, or Vaseline. All these really should be avoided if possible because number one, they break down condoms, so that's that's not good. Um, and even if you're not using a condom, if you don't need it um, for birth control or STD prevention, the vagina is still a, sec- a sensitive environment that cannot easily clean out oils um, such as these. Um, back in my earlier years of training, um, it was common to recommend coconut oil and everyone thought this was a great idea initially because it smells good. It's only one ingredient. It's, um, you know, it's organic, um, all these various reasons. It was kind of like, well, that's it. Everyone has it in their house. It's just an easy thing to do. But unfortunately what we've realized with coconut oil is, um, coconut oil has this ability to be antibacterial which means it actually can kill the good guys, lactobacillus, which are a healthy bacteria in the vagina. So I don't recommend coconut oil anymore. It's probably not harmful occasionally, but we don't, again, want to throw off this um, sensitive pH environment in the vagina. Um, so just to, to break it down even further, if a woman says, hey, um, you know, sex is really short, we, you know, very short time. So if, if penetrative sex is really short, I think water-based lubricants are great and they're really mm-hmm. inexpensive. Um, but if sex is longer 
and or there's any anal play involved, then a silicone lubricant is a much better choice. And if you're just not sure and you want to cover all your bases, then a hybrid uh, based water and silicone lubricant probably is the best option. Um, and as for any anything in the sex department, experimentation is key, figuring out what works for you and what, what doesn't work for you. Well, I think this is great information. This tells me to keep my coconut oil and my olive oil in the kitchen where it belongs. And so, uh, yeah, going to Pure Romance and looking at all of we, all the various lubricants that there are, I think that would be a good thing to do. So mm-hmm. if you ever decide that you don't want to be a doctor anymore, you just come on over here. You'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> um Let's let's uh, let's talk about this. Can you explain to us how estrogen products work to solve vaginal dryness, Doctor Inglacius? Okay, yes, estrogen is the gold standard treatment for vaginal dryness, and the way estrogen works in the vagina is that it it improves the superficial cells, and it's those superficial cells that eventually slough. They produce glycogen. It decreases the pH overall in the vaginal environment. It improves the vaginal microbiome, meaning the good bacteria, those are the lactobacillus, and the cycle continues so that you prevent the urinary tract infections, you prevent the dryness, you prevent uh, the the vaginal infections, and you prevent the pain with intercourse. Um, There are many estrogen formulations. Um, You have creams, there's two that are FDA approved. Um, you've got tablets, you've got suppositories, you've got a ring, um, and there are even some oral, oral what we call SERMs, selective estrogen receptor modules that I think Dr. Novicki may talk about, or Dr. Vakar may talk about that are specific to improving moisture in the vagina. I wanna say that these are all differ from the hormone replacement therapy or the estrogen therapy that you take by mouth because the estrogen that's just in the vagina only works in the vagina. If taken at the appropriate doses, and there have been multiple studies that have looked at this, it does not increase cancer of the breast. It doesn't increase blood clot or stroke or, or heart disease because it just has a local effect. And um, by and large, a lot of the warnings that we see on the estrogens that are systemic do not apply to that which is placed just vaginally. That's that's great information because that. My next question will probably be with you, Dr. Vaccaro, but I'm going to let you go through this first. Are there oral medications that can be taken to treat vaginal dryness? Yes, and uh, just like um, Dr. Glacia mentioned, there is a what we call a CERM, Selective Estrogen Receptor Modulator is what that is, and that's an acronym, S-E-R-M, um, and it's called Ospheme or Osphena, and this, this is a, um, it's actually similar to tamoxifen used for breast cancer, but in, in breast cancer, we're shutting down the estrogen receptors in the breast to take tamoxifen. In this medication, we're, we're turning on the vaginal receptors to just treat the vaginal dryness. And what we know, which is really cool about this product, this medication is that it actually does shut down the breast receptors and only turn on the vaginal receptors. So um, there's more studies coming out about it. It's still relatively new in our armamentarium of medications. It's only been out less than 10 years or so, um, but it's it's quite quite novel. Um, and again, it stimulates the vagina. And they've done nice studies looking at 
um, what we call the vaginal maturation index, looking at those superficial cells Dr. Iglesia talked about. Make, and basically, this is, this is making sure that it's doing what it should be doing. It's stimulating the right cells to make um, natural lubrication for the vagina, which stimulates that healthy environment. Um, and again, it shuts down the breast and the uterus. So it's, it's a really nice uh, medication. Of course, there's the downside, like why isn't everyone taking this for their vagina? Well, compared to the other available creams, um, pills, rings, um, osteopene is quite expensive. So, um, and it may not be covered by certain insurance companies. So that's currently at the downside. Um, and like Dr. Glacey mentioned, certainly there's other oral estrogen tablets, but these are for hormone replacement. So for the whole body. And unfortunately, they're not recommended for that treatment of vaginal dryness because um, hormone replacement therapy, again, is just like a tiny little bit to protect our brain and bones, uh, but it doesn't work well enough for the vagina. So even women that are taking oral estrogens for other menopause symptoms, like high, hot flashes, night sweats, et cetera, they're still gonna usually need additional supplementation with a local vaginal estrogen, again, tablet, pill, or suppository um, um, to help, or, or ring to help with this. Um, and I do want to just, again, say one more time, because I think it's so important what Dr. Glacia mentioned, which is that local vaginal estrogens do not put a woman at risk for breast or uterine cancer when taken as prescribed. And um, there is some work being done um, at the FDA level to try to help get out an actual um, patient information sheet that patients get at the pharmacy that's just specific to vaginal estrogens, because right now most patients get handed the oral estrogen handout, which makes them fearful of, of cancer risk, um, et, et cetera. That was kind of like the phone call that is the phone call that I received yesterday from a friend who said, I need help. I should not have to take this oral estrogen at this time. Uh, my doctor suggested I get off from it and um, I can't get off from it, Patty. What is wrong with me? And I said, you need to go back and have a conversation. She just said that she just wakes up sopping wet and, and sweat. And she said, and she's like crazy. Uh, when she's not taking it. So is there going to be anything that's going to help that particular patient? I think that that's a whole podcast in of itself that we okay. can talk about menopause management, because again, that's a whole nother area that it gets very little attention. And um, there's been such a shift of taking women off of their estrogen um, replacement therapy since the early 2000s. And, and I think that we could talk about that and, and do a lot of good education work. But um, in my mind, estrogen replacement therapy for her symptoms is gonna be the, the best treatment for fi fixing all of those symptoms. But I think we should definitely do a podcast on that. It, 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 yeah, because when she started talking about it, it sounded like a, a, a drug that you had to have. She had to have it. And so um, that's good. We, will, we probably need to have this conversation so we'll plan on another whole podcast on that. Um, what about patients who, despite having an effective treatment for vaginal dryness, continue to have pain with intercourse? We hear that a lot too. Should they seek a pelvic floor physical therapist for this? Dr. Novicki? Um, definitely. Um, so um, vaginal dryness, if it persists for a period of time, um, a lot of changes can occur in the vaginal area. 
um, you know, through that um, loss of hydration, um, the vaginal walls can become more um, fragile, um, can result in pain during intercourse. The natural result anywhere in your body when there's pain is that the muscles will guard or go into spasm to protect that area. Um, essentially, it's trying to say, no, this is not going to feel good. Let's not do this. <laughs> um, unfortunately, even after, you know, you're not, um, you know, having pain with, with due to vaginal dryness, um, those muscles don't necessarily forget, you know, they may remain and function in that more spastic um, manner, even if there is no pain, because it has kind of forgotten how to function normally. Mm -hmm. um, in addition, if you've had vaginal dryness for a period of time, um, those tissues have um, um, undergone some changes. You may have had more sensitivity to the nerves. The um, muscles um, are no longer um, functioning. They're not as um, easily and um, more functionally contractile as it used to be. Um, and as a result, the, you know, um, that vaginal dryness can um, result into, um, you know, a, a less pleasurable intercourse. Um, perhaps you can't achieve orgasm um, as you did prior to that. So um, a physical therapist can um, help you through either in-clinic treatments or even, you know, showing you what you need to do at home um, to reduce that muscle spasm, um, show you how to, um, you know, have those muscles work normally again, um, because these muscles are hidden away. Um, it can be hard to know if you're actually doing what you're supposed to be doing with the exercises. And a pelvic health physical therapist has many tools to help you to be confident um, that you're restoring normal function of that, that pelvic floor. Um, um, with that, um, you know, we utilize biofeedback, we might use manual therapy, we could use dry needling. Um, there's a number of different, um, you know, tools that we can utilize that can restore things back to normal. And that's important because, um, you know, um, you, you've treated, you, you've got something effective that um, reduces that um, dryness. Um, but if the, if the muscles are not functioning normal, um, then the intercourse still will not be normal, despite the, you know, the effective lubrication. Thank you. Um, I've noticed a huge increase in the marketplace for women's sexual health and wellness products like that will combat uh, vaginal dryness. I've seen these creams priced like high-end skincare, uh, like vaginal suppositories and oral supplements. Let, let's talk. Are these products safe? And what should we be looking for? And what what is it that we should be avoiding? Um, Dr. Iglesias, let's start with you. All right, glad you asked that question, Patty, because I don't necessarily feel that price e, um, equates with superiority of uh, treatment <laughs> or efficacy. Um, by and large, um, the moisturized and the lubricants that are on the market, if they're FDA approved, uh, are cleared and are effective and safe. However, there are some patients who have allergic reactions to some of the ingredients, um, even in some of the, the, that the estrogens are on, say they have allergies to the parabens or they're allergic to the 
propylene glycols that are in this. So that is why there are other alternatives that are available. Like if you're allergic to the cream, maybe you'll be okay with the tablet. Certainly you might be okay with the oral serum. Um, there's even a pro-hormone, uh, pre-testosterone called prasterone that's available as a suppository. In very certain cases, and we've gone through all the ones that are FDA cleared, um, the most important thing about this is that you're getting something that is the right, that's pH balanced to be able to put in the vagina. But in very rare instances, you will you have to be uh, consulting a compounding pharmacy to put into some, the base into something. The estrogen, the estradiol is there, but the base isn't is into something that it, you're not allergic to. This is, these are pretty rare. I've had, you know, a handful of cases throughout my 30 years in practice. Um, that there are some people who have allergies, but by and large, that which is available, you know, is safe. I want to say one thing because this has also been on the Twitter world recently on Med Twitter. Um, it's about um, there was a whole thing about marketing to teens and uh, vaginal cleaning, um, how the vagina needs cleaning. There was something specific to this product, Vagisil, about the vagina and marketed to trying to fix the odor and basically body shaming, particularly teens as they're going through puberty and already have enough angst already. I wanna say right now that that is not appropriate, that um, by and large, the vagina will clean itself um, apart from having um, you know, other conditions, mostly related to pH imbalances or potentially sexually transmitted infections um, it is not necessary to quote unquote, clean your vagina. <laughs> I love that. You, no, I love that you said this because I think that some of these teens need to learn about good hygiene and changing the panties and not just, you know, inside outside. Um, there's a lot of things that they can learn and maybe that's another podcast. Uh, Dr. Vercara, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I, I'm going to echo um, some of what Dr. Glacey said, but I'm, I, especially for premenopausal, including teenagers, I'm definitely a less is more mm -hmm. in and around the vagina and vulva. So really just, um, they shouldn't be uh, douching or inserting any cleaning solutions. Um, and on the outside, even of just the vulva really should just be water. Um, I think sometimes women get really irritated and are trying to clean more and that becomes more irritating than helpful. Um, but just to reiterate, you know, that the FDA has approved lots of vaginal estrogen products for specifically for vaginal dryness. So in, in women that are having vaginal dryness due to the loss of estrogen, the, the creams, pills, rings are really the best at maintaining a healthy vagina. Um, so I would, I would discourage women from purchasing really expensive supplements unless there becomes evidence that they're better or equivalent to FDA-approved vaginal um, estrogen products, with the caveat being if there is a, um, a moisturizer, and there is one that's readily, there's several that are readily available over the counter that treats occasional dryness, I think that's fine, but I certainly wouldn't recommend anything um, very expensive. Just like Terrell mentioned, expensive doesn't mean superior. There you go. Well, I'm going to tell you what, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation here today. And so I want to thank Dr. Vaccaro, Dr. Iglesias, and also Dr. Kathleen Novicki. Thank you so much for this 
this great conversation. For more information on the Patty Brisbane Foundation for Women's Sexual Health and our six focus areas, visit the pattybrisbanefoundation.org. Remember, sex care is self-care and sexual health matters.